Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. Today we're going to be taking a look at the readings for Pentecost Tuesday. You heard that right. There are special readings for Pentecost Eve, Pentecost Day, Pentecost Monday, and today we're going to be looking at Pentecost Tuesday. You can check our archives for programs and examinations of those other days in our liturgical calendar. We've talked uh, before about how the celebration of Pentecost was uh, a much, much bigger deal in the early church, uh, at in the Reformation church, and we're... Uh, just trying to encourage people to think about God's Word in relationship to and in respect to God's promise fulfilled in the miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. I am Pastor Clint Poppy. Along with me is Pastor Adam Moline and Vicar Timothy Steele II. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thanks for tuning in. Pastor, initial thoughts on Pentecost Tuesday. Well, I think it just shows the importance of the Feast of Pentecost, that we have all these days focused on the Scripture readings. Uh, it is a high and holy day in the church year, and one that we ought to uh, think about and consider probably more than we do in our uh, laid-back American society. And uh, this may be an opportunity if you have uh, extra services uh, during the summertime or whatever. It might uh, mission festival, those kind of things. might be an opportunity to take uh, some of the readings from Pentecost Eve, Pentecost Monday, and here Pentecost Tuesday, and uh, use those for those special celebrations or special uh, festivals. So uh, without further ado, we want to take a look at our gospel reading. You may wonder why on Pentecost we had uh, the King of Love, My Shepherd Is, as our intro music today. Uh, the gospel reading for today is from John 10, uh, the great good shepherd chapter of the gospel of John. So we're going to be looking at the first 10 verses of John 10. John 10, 1 to 10. Vicar, take it away. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Okay, man, oh man, we got a lot of stuff here in the first 10 verses of John chapter 10. You know, at uh, the first part of this, as Vicar was reading, I was thinking about, you know, the, the uh, Christian and how the Christian... Uh, 
entering into the sheepfold and all of these things. And then all of a sudden, it dawned on me that Jesus is talking about himself and that he's the door. And uh, it, uh, you know, just marvelous how Jesus is teaching here. Truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. And, you know, the, the whole, the whole uh, aspect, the whole concept, the whole illustration, figure of speech, Jesus calls it, of Jesus being the door didn't really hit me until a few verses later on. And it's absolutely clear that that's what Jesus is talking about here. Who is it, Pastor, that would try to enter the sheepfold by another way? The, the one that is a thief and a robber. Is he talking about false teachers? Is he talking about shepherd, uh, uh, the devil? Is he talking about uh, pagans and unbelievers that think uh, all roads lead to God? What, what is uh, Jesus talking about here? Well, I think those would be definitely options by extension, but I, I'd say um, we have uh, all the hypocrites that are in the church who are in the church for reasons other than Jesus, perhaps because uh, it looks good in the the community to be a member of a church and to go there on a regular basis, perhaps that, um, you know, their spouse comes to church and so they make sure they come with their spouse, but they don't really give a hoot about Jesus. Uh, Perhaps those who, um, you know, think that it's a stepping stone to a position of power or authority, you know, uh, I can become uh, an elder or a, a president of an organization like a church something like that. Perhaps those um, even who misunderstand God and, uh, you know, make God in their own image. And they, you know, um, this is one of the things, you know, when you're a pastor and you go to a place to get a haircut, what do they always ask you? What do you do for a living? And you say, well, I'm a pastor. Then they tell you what they believe about God. Well, I've combined Judaism and Buddhism with a little bit of Jesus, uh, and that's what I believe. And uh, so all these things where if you are in the pew for any reason other than receiving Jesus crucified and risen to take away your sins, then essentially you've come in through the wrong door. You've come in through the wrong uh, way and you're there for the wrong p- purpose. And so that can include those false teachers and things like that you're talking about. That's true, but it also hits much, much closer to home to all of us uh, as well. Okay, I, I love that. Uh, I want to follow up on that then. If, uh, if that is primarily the case that Jesus is talking about the, uh, the, the hypocrite, the false Christian, uh, in what way is that person that hypocrite, that person who's in the pew for the wrong reason. In what way is that person a thief and a robber? Uh, who is that person stealing from? Uh, uh, it would seem uh, on the outside looking in that it's kind of a no harm, no foul kind of a situation. Well, it might seem that way, but um, you, you know that... Let's go back to the Old Testament time when God said uh, you shouldn't even marry someone outside the faith. What's God's reason for that? Well, because it will lead people astray. And the person who's sitting in the pew without the focus completely on Jesus holds the potential to lead people astray, to uh, spread their 
unfaith of uh, being there for a wrong reason, uh, even innocently so, to other members of the congregation. And thus, this theft and stealing is really from God and from the ones that he has saved by the work of Jesus Christ. And it, it may sound really harsh to say that, but a person sitting in the pew without true faith in Jesus Christ does hold the great potential of stealing people away from the true faith. Uh, we see that happen all the time when conflicts arrive within congregations uh, or when, um, you know, people, one person leaves and then recruits others to leave a congregation. Uh, it's stealing from God, from Jesus, and that's really uh, a, a testament to destroying faith uh, is what the potential is for that person in the pew. I, uh, I thank you for that. Uh, I think that was, uh, those are hard words, but those are import, um, important words for us to consider. You know, we, we, uh, we rob God of his glory, uh, and sure. by extension of robbing God from his glory, we rob God of uh, everything that is attached to his glory, including the precious souls that Jesus has bled and died for. And if we do anything, whether it be a scandalous lifestyle or hypocrisy in the pew, people see that witness and are led astray and potentially can fall from the faith. And again, we, we rob God of his glory in that way. Well, I mean, think about all the, the challenges you've uh, seen in your career uh, as a pastor of, of congregations turning against their pastor, even when the pastor's preaching God's word faithfully and teaching Jesus in his truth and purity. Uh, oftentimes, what are the issues? Well, I don't like the pastor's beard, or um, you know, he his wife isn't as friendly as she should be, and all those things. Uh, what's the focus on? It's on something besides Jesus. Yeah, it's and it it's spreads not the word like of wildfire yeah. in a congregation, and and that's what Christ, I think, here is warning about. Okay, all right, I I like it. Yeah, like I said, hard words, but important words. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep vicar um we're gonna get we're gonna get this fleshed out in a little bit more but uh he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep why is it important that the sheep have a shepherd because sheep are silly foolish creatures they're they're herd animals but at the same time, they're not the most intelligent. And so if they don't have someone to guide them, they're going to go off into off cliffs and into rivers and get all swelled up with water. And if they don't have someone to guard them from lions and thieves and robbers, they're helpless. They need someone to take care of them. And the uh, sheep are oblivious to the fact that they are helpless. That that makes it uh, even worse because they don't uh, they don't necessarily realize the need for someone to guide them and to protect them and feed them and water them and all that kind of stuff. Pastor? And, and I think even more important than that, I mean, um, you know, is that sheep stick together. Right, and that happens within congregations as well. People form groups and cliques and little uh, uh, people who talk and sit by each other at Bible study and in the pew, and and 
Um, you know, I sit in pew number six on the right, and then right behind me sits this family, and every week we talk about Billy, who's living in Chicago. You know, we form those little groups and cliques, and it's those little groups and cliques that then wander off oftentimes together, as we talked about before. Like, when one person leaves, oftentimes their entire group or clique leaves as well. They flock together. Okay. Uh, sheep are prone to wander, and uh, sheep are group animals, and uh, they wander away in groups. I, I like that. Um, we're about out of time in this segment, Pastor. To him, the shepherd of the sheep, the gatekeeper opens. Uh, very odd verse to me. Who's the gatekeeper? Well, I think here's where we start to see the structure in the church in the sense that there is a pastor, and the pastor's job is to bring Christ into the congregation to preach Jesus and the truth and purity and to focus the sheep's attention on that. And so I would say that he is the gatekeeper uh, in the sense that he is preaching Christ crucified and risen in its truth and purity. Uh, You've given me much to think about there, Pastor. We uh, need to take our first break. We're looking at uh, John 10, 1 to 10, the gospel reading for Pentecost Tuesday. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, majoring in the minors. We're looking at Pentecost Tuesday. The gospel reading for Pentecost Tuesday is John 10, 1 to 10. We introduced those uh, words in our first segment, and during your break, we had a lot of fun talking about the identity of the gatekeeper. Uh, Vicar looked up, uh, was it Chrysostom, or who were you looking at Christosum's- there? Cyprian, Augustine, bunch of old church. Yeah, fathers. a bunch of old church fathers, and uh, it is it is fun. And uh, you know, I was thinking that maybe since this reading was picked for Pentecost Tuesday, that it might be a uh, reference to the Holy Spirit. Uh, one of the church fathers had made that uh, made that clear. Um, you know, Pastor Moline, right before the break, you had said that uh, this is the pastor. And uh, whether it is directly or indirectly, I, I believe you're right, because the gatekeeper is the one who speaks the word of God, who opens the door for the congregation so that the um, uh, people can hear and enter in. It is also a uh, situation where a faithful pastor would never operate independently from the Holy Spirit, never in, operate independently from the, the words of the Good Shepherd. And so I want to follow up now that second half of verse 3. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now, in the context of verse 3, Whose voice are we talking about here? Are we talking about the voice of the shepherd? Or are we talking about the voice of the gatekeeper? And does that give us any clue uh, to further our discussion on the identity of the gatekeeper? 
Well, I'd say that the voice they hear is actually the voice of the shepherd, uh, and that's the important voice, is the voice of Jesus. Now, that's the interesting thing that I would say, is that when a pastor is preaching God's word and his truth and purity, when a pastor is administering the sacraments according to Christ's own institution, uh, Jesus himself says in the Gospel of John, he who hears you hears me. Uh, and so that... I was hoping that, that's where you were going to go, so thank well, you. That'd be the key, right? Is that, Absolutely. Uh, a pastor is never in it for himself. Hopefully people don't think, uh, you know, uh, Pastor Moline, he's so great. Uh, Hopefully they see Jesus and don't give a hoot about me at all. Uh, That's a faithful pastor's job is to bring people Christ, the good shepherd. Yeah, you should always be a little bit skeptical when uh, when you hear pastors or would-be pastors uh, that are promoting their own ministries um, more than they are promoting the Word of God or the kingdom of God. that, that that just should be a red flag. I, I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole. Because, you know, of, of uh, my educational experience, too, I think it's important for me to say it doesn't mean I think I am Jesus. I am not. Um, but the word that I speak is Christ's word, uh, at least hopefully it is. And so that's really important thing to say. I know that there's those in this area of the country who say, oh, you Fort Wayne pastors, you all think you're Jesus. No, uh, we're not. But when we speak God's word, Jesus is present uh, in that word. Okay, yeah, I wish that wouldn't have to be said, but to clarify that, uh, I think that's good. Vicar? Yeah, I mean, we hear this at the beginning of almost every divine service and a lot of other services in the church when the pastor says, in the stead and by the command. The pastor isn't Christ, but he is Christ's ambassador. And when he is speaking in the stead of the Lord Jesus, it's not his words, it's Christ's words for you. Stewards of the mysteries of grace, 1 Corinthians 4, and I think that's important as well. Uh, Verse 4 of John chapter 10, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice brought out all his own. It, uh, it kind of evokes in my mind a picture of you've got, you've got all these sheep that are kind of scattered, and uh, he brings some out of the scattering into the pen, into the fold. Is, is that anywhere close to what Jesus wants us to uh, think here? Well, I mean, I think Jesus does do that, but I think this picture is uh, maybe the, even the other way around. He's bringing his own sheep out of the pen. Uh, in other words, uh, he's bringing them out of this veil of sorrows and tears and uh, into the world that is to come. And so we have a picture here of a Christian death and a Christian resurrection where God is bringing us to be with him in his kingdom forever. Yeah. Uh, and so when that happens, we no longer need to be penned up. We are, in that sense, free to follow Christ world without end. I, I love that. I love that. Uh, verse 5, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee for him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Now, Pastor, we have a lot of voice and no talk in this uh, in the Gospel of John, and especially here in these first four or five verses of John chapter 10. Can you help us sort that out? The uh, Whose voice are we talking about? And uh, this knowing, what does this knowing mean? Is, uh, is the voice just like, like any words or any proclamation, and then we have to track down the source of the voice? 
uh, teach us? I'd say, again, the, the voice is the voice of the Good Shepherd Jesus and the word that he speaks. And because he speaks that word to us, we become intimately familiar with that in the same way that a sheep becomes intimately familiar with the voice of his shepherd. And, and that's why then if another shepherd tries to steal the sheep by saying even the same words, um, the, the sheep recognize it's not the right voice and they stay following the true shepherd. And we see that then, let's just take Mormonism, for example. Mormonism uh, uses a lot of scripture verses out of context and they've introduced their own words to go with it. Um, when we hear Mormons preach and teach, it might sound Christian to the outside world, but because we have intimately heard the word of Jesus, Christ on a regular basis, we know that that's a false teaching and we do not run after it or follow it. Okay. And uh, Jesus gives us a lot of warning with regard to false teachers, false prophets, uh, people who lie in the name of God. And this is nothing new. Uh, Nearly every one of the prophets gives that same kind of a warning. Uh, The Old Testament is uh, replete with Uh, warnings and admonitions to flee from false prophets who uh, tell you what you want to hear rather than what you need to hear. And what we all need to hear is the word of God, full strength, undiluted. Okay, now in verse 6 of John chapter 10, Pastor, it says, uh, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So it, uh, it shouldn't bother us, I guess, too much that we're asking, well, who's he talking about here and who's he talking about there? We need Jesus to clarify for us because we are often dense. Uh, The old Adam lives and speaks loud within each of us. So Jesus very bluntly and very plainly in verse 7 says, so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Vicar, we're, uh, we're going to get a lot of I am statements in the Gospel of John. We've already had some before we get to John 10, and we're going to have more after John 10. Uh, what is the significance of this I am phrase? The significance of I am might be a little lost in the English language. Okay, Jesus is referring to himself. That's nice. But it's deeper than that. In the Old Testament, when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, and Moses said, when I go to the people of Israel, who do I say sent me? God said, say to them, I am that I am sent you, Yahweh. So this is a reference to the name of God that the Lord gave to Moses to give to the people of Israel. It's Jesus saying that he is God. He's, uh, he's claiming that he is God. So anybody that says, uh, oh, you know, nowhere in the Bible does Jesus actually say he's God. Every one of these I am statements uh, counteracts that kind of a statement because he is clearly, uh, and the people realize it too. That's why they accuse him of blasphemy and want to put him to death. He says in verse 7, I am the door for the sheep. He says in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, will go in and out and find pasture. Pastor, what does it mean that people would uh, uh, enter by him and be saved? And then 
go in and out and find pasture. What what is that talking about? Well, I mean, we we say the same thing uh, and teach our confirmation kids to memorize those words. There is no other name under heaven by which men shall be saved except for that of Jesus Christ. Uh, and that's the uh, reality then uh, for us as Christians. Uh, there's no other way into heaven except for faith in Jesus Christ. There's no other salvation. And Jesus is saying the same sort of thing here in a different way. Now, entering in and out, um, he's talking about the reality that uh, as sheep, every day we go in and out, and we are in God's Word, and then we go out into the world, and we live our regular lives until finally the shepherd leads us out at the end of our life to be with him forever. And so there is that reality of the Christian life that Jesus is teaching here as well. The very next verse after our text here, uh, John ten eleven, Jesus has another I am statement where he says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. We know that's coming, and uh, we don't want to skip ahead past. Pastor, we got to talk about verse 10. One of the most misunderstood and uh, seriously abused verses in all of Scripture is John 10.10. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Or some translations would say, have it to the full. There are some Christians that would use this verse as a proof text uh, for speaking in tongues, uh, picking up snakes, and drinking poison and some of these miraculous signs that we see in other places in scripture and that this full life this abundant life is uh, really the mark of a true christian and that if you can't do these things you're not really a christian and is that what jesus is talking about here is he making a, a multi-tiered level of christianity what does it mean to live your life abundantly well, I'd say to have life is what, he, what the Greek says and what he says, to have life abundantly, not necessarily to live life abundantly, like to do particular things in this life or even to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, as some of the fake preachers uh, today say. And so what I'd say, the answer to what you're asking ultimately is, is this. I might live to be 75 years old here in this world, and when I compare that 75 years of life that I'll have in this sinful world to the uh, world world without end, eternity, infinite years that I have uh, promised to me in Jesus Christ, um, the infinite years with Jesus Christ in his new kingdom is full compared to the, the, the time that I have here in this world. It is abundant. There's lots of life that God is promising to me, and so that's the life that I have. Okay, I like that. I think, I think of people sometimes on their deathbed, and they look back over their life, and uh, they say, you know, um, my, my life was pretty empty. Uh, and folks, everyone's life is empty apart from faith in Jesus Christ. And the only way that your life can be full, fully enjoyed uh, here in time and hereafter in eternity is through the door, through the good shepherd who laid down his life for you only to pick it back up again three days later. We need to take another break. We'll be right back. Proclaiming the one, majoring in the minors, Pentecost Tuesday. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.
Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, majoring in the minors. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Steele. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We gather each Sunday for worship at 8 and 1030 with Sunday school for all ages in between. Check us out. Come and visit us in person. Uh, we, we also have worship Wednesday evening year-round, and that gives us an opportunity to uh, more fully examine many of the uh, feast days, festival days, occurrences, and occasions in the church here. Today, we are spending our time looking at the readings for Pentecost Tuesday. And Pastor, I got to be honest with you, I don't know that I have ever in uh, 40-some years seriously looked at the readings for Pentecost Tuesday. And I know in the uh, in the future years, since there aren't any uh, appointed pericopes for Pentecost Wednesday, and we always have church the Wednesday after Pentecost, we're going to be looking at some of these readings and uh, transferring them to our uh, worship service because uh, they are just so good and so rich and take us into some sections of Scripture that we don't have an opportunity to be in. Uh, Speaking of that, our Old Testament reading, what we're going to look at in this segment, is from Isaiah 32. Isaiah 32. Now, if nothing immediately comes to mind when you hear uh, Isaiah 32, you're with me uh, because uh, nothing jumps out. So Isaiah 32, 14 to 20. Vicar, take it away. For the palace is forsaken, the populous city deserted. The hill and the watchtower will become dens forever, a joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks. Until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. And the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation, and secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places." And it will hail when the forest falls down, and the city will be utterly laid low. Happy are you who sow beside all waters, who let the feet of the ox and the donkey range free. Okay. Um, these, these are not familiar words. Uh, at least to me, maybe they are to you, Pastor Moline. I uh, know you've got much, much more scripture memorized and uh, examined than I do. Um, now he's giving me that look like he doesn't know what I'm talking about. Um, he knows what I'm talking about. Uh, one of the very, very theologically significant chapters that's probably more familiar to our hearers, uh, to people who've been in the, in the church for a while is Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35, uh, is many times an advent kind of a text it is talking about how in the in the desert and in the dry and barren places all of a sudden water is going to start bubbling up and uh, there's going to be a new growth and we are we are talking about God's miraculous work of bringing life where only there is death now, you always have to be careful with regard to some of the uh, chapter or little headings that are in your English trans- translation. Uh, sometimes they're accurate. They're not a part of the inspired scripture. Sometimes they're accurate and sometimes they're not. Uh, 
And at the beginning of uh, chapter 32 in my ESV, it says, a king will reign in righteousness. So we're talking about a future event, the reigning of a king. And specifically, beginning in verse 9 in Isaiah 32, complacent women warned of disaster. Now, that's pretty specific, isn't it? Complacent women warned of disaster. So we have impending doom, impending gloom, impending disaster. And it starts out that way. The palace is forsaken. The populous city deserted. The hill and the watchtower will become dens forever. That means they're deserted and the wild animals have taken up residence there. A joy of wild donkeys uh, as a pasture of flocks until, in verse 15, Pastor, we, we have um, several times in Scripture where we have words like but or then or until, and they are gospel words because uh, God is going to make a major shift in what he's talking about. Until. The Spirit is poured out on us from on high, and then everything is reversed. The wilderness becomes a fruitful field. The fruitful field is deemed a forest. Justice will dwell. Righteousness will abide. Uh, Let's just go through verse 16 there. Talk a little bit about this uh, great reversal that's coming on, and then specifically the words, until the Spirit is poured upon us. Well, yeah, you have this contrast between <clears throat> the the king of righteousness in the beginning of the chapel and uh, chapter, and then also this warning given to these women that is culminating in the palace being forsaken, the city destroyed, and everything returning to the wild, to the uh, uncivilized sort of situation. And then you have until the spirits poured out, and so this is in a sense talking about the reality of uh, humanity, and even uh, more specifically, I'd say the kingdom. Of of Judah and and Israel, Um, this is the reality of how their faith life is going to be until the time of Christ and the Feast of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit is poured out and things are kind of put back in order. It's the same sort of picture that is uh, at Pentecost when we have all the languages being united in a confession of Jesus Christ is the true God, which is the reversal of what happened in the Tower of Babel where everything was scattered over the face of the earth. And so you have this idea, wild being the way things are because of sin and and corruption and and difficulty. Wild animals like uh, donkeys are uh, even grazing where they're supposed to be a city. Um, And and these flocks, wild flocks are there where they're supposed to be human beings. And everything's chaos until the Spirit's poured out. And that's what puts things right. And the Spirit, what's the Spirit always do? The Holy Spirit always, always, always points people to Jesus Christ crucified and risen. Uh, thank you. That was extremely well said. And uh, when, when I saw that initially, until the Spirit is poured out, I wanted to say, until the work of Jesus is complete, until the work of the Savior, the Messiah, is complete, his perfect life, his obedient death, his glorious resurrection, his physical body ascending into heaven, filling all things, and then sending out the Holy Spirit to testify of himself, of his completed work. And uh, I think that's just a, a, a different way of saying everything you said. Isn't that, uh, am I 
Am it I is. Close? Uh, they they go together. In fact, I would say uh, that the sending of the Holy Spirit is something that Christ Himself does uh, as ascended King and Lord. In fact, I think the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, it's interesting. You know, it starts with in the first book, O Theophilus. I told you about what Jesus began to do, implying that now in the book of Acts, He's going to tell you what Jesus is continuing to do. And one of the first things that Jesus does uh, after He ascends is to send the Holy Spirit upon the apostles to preach his name. Amen. Amen. Uh, let's, uh, let's pick up here in verse 17 of Isaiah 32. Uh, up until this point, we're talking about future events. Then. This will happen in the future. Then. This will happen. And then in verse 17, and the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness, and trust forever. Now, we've talked a lot on uh, various programs with regard to prophetic perspective, where the prophet is looking out into the future and he's telling us of real events, but we don't often know the exact timeline, if it's going to happen immediately, or if this is going to happen later, or if this is really what's going to happen on the last day, judgment day. So uh, the effect of this righteousness, peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness, and trust forever. Is this for now, or is this for later, Pastor? Well, it's both. When we're a Christian, we have that peace, but we don't understand it in its fullness, and we won't until we leave behind this sinful world. But it is uh, the peace and the quietness and the trust are set up there in um, uh, contraposition to the idea of wildness and uh, uncertainty and, uh, you know, the chaos that uh, seems to be reigning uh, above. And so in Jesus Christ, you have peace, uh, and it's a result of the righteousness that is imputed upon you through the waters of holy baptism. And because you are righteous, in other words, because you believe in God and it is counted to you as righteousness, you also have uh, quietness and trust in God. In other words, this is almost saying what we say in the small catechism about the first commandment, that we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Uh, And as a result, we have righteousness and peace. I was thinking of Psalm 46 as you were talking there, be still and know that I am God. There are so many things that make us frantic, so many things that make us worried. God wants us to have that full, abundant life which is flowing from faith in him. And uh, the rest of our text from Isaiah 32 gives us kind of a picture of that full, abundant life, even in the midst of trials and tribulations. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, in quiet resting places. And it will hail when the forest falls down and the city will be utterly laid low. That's okay. Things are going to happen around you, but you're still at peace. You're still at peace because you have that peace that surpasses all understanding, and that peace is what flows from God and God alone. Happy are you who sow beside all waters, who let the feet of the ox and the donkey range free. Now, to me, Pastor, that seems like almost a parallel verse to John 10, verse 10. Uh, to to live live your life, live in the vocation that God has given you. Don't worry, don't fret, don't uh, panic about things you can't control. 
You're in my hands and nothing or no one can snatch you out. Am I reading too much into that verse, Pastor? No, and I think we can even say this is a beatitude in the sense, you know, happy are you. Uh, We could probably say blessed are you in the same uh, sense. And so in that sense, it is an Old Testament beatitude here. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love that. So the uh, Old Testament reading, Isaiah 32, 14 to 20. I I have to admit, folks, this was not a section of Scripture that I was very familiar with coming into this program. It is a marvelous, marvelous text and a beautiful companion to the Gospel reading for this Pentecost Tuesday, John 10, 1 to 10. We need to take another break. When we come back, we're going to look at our second reading, Acts 8, 14 to 17. Don't change that dial. to K-N-N-A-L-P, 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. Today we're looking at Pentecost Tuesday, readings that we don't come across all that often in the church, and yet it has been uh, very, very fun and educational. In our first two segments, we looked at the Holy Gospel reading for Pentecost Tuesday, John 10, 1 to 10. In our third segment, we looked at a marvelous little uh, Old Testament reading from Isaiah 32, Isaiah 32, 14 to 20. And now in our uh, final segment, we want to look at our second reading, um, the uh, spot of the epistle, and the appointed reading is Acts 8, 14 to 17. Vicar, take it away. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Okay. some One of these passages, Pastor, I've said it many times, one of these passages that makes Lutherans really nervous and sometimes makes Lutherans avoid the book of Acts, Acts of the Apostles, completely. First of all, before we get into the uh, specifics in Acts 8, 14 to 17, can you set the stage Uh, What has happened in the book of Acts in the first seven and a half chapters that gets us right here? (laughs) Yeah. um, Yeah, you know. Tell me about the entire book of Acts here in less than 10 minutes. Just a little flyby. (laughs) It's all I'm looking for. Yeah, so uh, the book of Acts is primarily about uh, how the church operates, uh, how Christ comes to the church through preaching of the word and uh, administration of the sacraments, and how that process then brings about the church, uh, both uh, starting in, in Jerusalem, spreading to the area surrounding that, uh, and then into the entire world, you know, Athens and, and Rome and whatnot. And so, 
This is happening uh, right before this. We have uh, Saul uh, going after the church, and uh, we have the uh, the death of St. Stephen, um, uh, which takes place at the end of chapter 7. And so the persecution of the church is at its strongest. And as a result of the death of Stephen uh, and the persecution of the church in Jerusalem, many Christians leave Jerusalem. Uh, It drives them out. And it seems like at first maybe that's a really terrible bad thing, but what it does is it brings the word of God to the area surrounding, the places where Christians have fled, um, now hear God's word because when Christians go someplace, they bring the word with them. Them. And as a result, Samaria is one of those places that begins to hear God's word and people begin to become Christian. Now, that's a really big deal, um, uh, scripturally speaking, because Samaria had formerly been the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel, which was not, uh, according to scriptures, a savory place, maybe is the way to say it. Uh, The people living in Samaria are often accused of idolatry, uh, of unfaith. They fell away from the Lord. They didn't follow the house. Of David, um, they had false prophets. Um, they're the ones who are in conflict with many of the true prophets that are in the Scripture. Uh, they're destroyed by the kingdom of Assyria in the 700s BC, and so Samaria is kind of the headquarters of all this terrible stuff going on. And now it's really interesting to see the reunification of the kingdoms of Israel in the sense that Samaria no longer is following these false worship. Uh, practices, but instead are learning about Jesus Christ and coming to faith in him. And that's kind of where we are here. I love that word you used, reunification. And it is a reunification, not by political alliance, not because of boundary issues or anything like that, not an earthly kingdom and an earthly, uh, you know, my king's daughter marries your king's son, and then we work out some kind of a reunification. That's the way the world works. That's the way the world works. God's plan to reunify the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom is Jesus. And now the, the, the Holy Spirit that is working in and through people to point people to Jesus. And the healing of the nations that uh, the Old Testament prophets talking about is happening right here. The reunification, uh, I think it's Jeremiah that talks about the uh, basically the sisters that can't get along, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Well, now the sisters are, are reconciled through Jesus. I just love that picture. That is, that is, uh, that is profound, profound. Vicar. When Israel was first a nation, at its greatest zenith, their greatest king was David. And God promises that from the house of David, my servant David will reign over you on his throne. So Christ, the son of David, reunifies the kingdom of Israel, and brings all people into God's kingdom. Okay, very good. Uh, the uh, that just that, that just blows my mind. I just love that. I just love that word picture there. Um, now we know that a little bit later on in Acts chapter eight, we have the very very famous encounter between Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. We know that at uh, that. 
uh, Acts chapter 9 is a very, very famous chapter of Scripture where we have the conversion of Saul to Paul. So we got some really, really big things coming. It's almost like this little uh, text here, Acts 8, 14 to 17, is kind of a bridge in the book. Because when I think of the book of the Acts of the Apostles, I think of the missionary journeys of Paul. Well, Paul, uh, Saul's not even a Christian yet at this point in time. So the, the first third or so of the book of Acts is not about the missionary journeys of Paul. It's Peter and John and Philip and the deacons and all these other things that are going on. There's a lot of stuff in this book, right? There is, and I think that's maybe something that we need to do a better job at as Christians living in America. We all oftentimes thinks that, uh, think that mission work is something that needs to be done overseas. You know, We need to travel down to Mexico and dig a ditch so that the next group that comes down to Mexico can fill the ditch in, uh, or we need to uh, you know, spend time off in Africa um, you know, giving water and things like that. Not to say these things are unimportant, but the reality is, is that a huge amount of the work done in the book of Acts is actually done in people's hometowns. And there is congregations, local congregations that are founded and continue to preach and teach the word and administer the sacraments in their local area. And, you know, maybe that's something we need to think about more here in Lincoln, Nebraska, a city where half the people, uh, according to a recent study, uh, don't go to church on a Sunday morning. Maybe some of the missionary work needs to be done here on the local level. And I don't just mean social care, right? Uh, I'm talking Word of God, sacrament ministry. That's what needs to be done here. And quite frankly, Pastor, that's one of the reasons why we have KNNALP radio station 95.7 right here in Lincoln is because the radio waves get into people's homes and people's cars, uh, people who otherwise may not step foot inside of a church for any reason. And so that's a tiny part of our mission here, but I think a very important part. All right, let's dig into our text. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them. Now, first of all, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. So what does it mean, Pastor, that Samaria, you've already talked about the significance of Samaria, that Samaria received the word of God, and I assume by extension here that the Holy Spirit had fallen on them. What does that mean? I mean, the Holy Spirit is always at work in God's Word, and so that's exactly true, that the Holy Spirit was always already working on them. What I think is is important about this particular text is um, the reality of what's going on. So these Christians under persecution are leaving Jerusalem. They're moving their families away to escape the persecution of Christians. Still in Christian, you have pastors and leaders like Peter and uh, uh, you know the other apostles that are living in Jerusalem. They're still there caring for their flocks uh, in that location. But the average Christian has moved away to Samaria and has brought God's word with them and is telling people in their day-to-day life at their job, you know, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Jesus died and rose for my sins. And by the way, he did it for you too. 
and people in the city of Samaria are coming to the Christian faith as a result of that preaching and teaching, but there's not a congregation there yet. And so uh, the the Christians who have moved to Samaria, and these are only a few miles apart, right? Israel's not that big. They send word back to their pastor, and they say, listen, we have lots of Christians here, but we don't have a congregation, and we don't have a pastor yet. What should we do? And so the church then in Jerusalem sends pastors, uh, and, and it says here they sent Peter and John. And so what's Peter and John, what are they going to Samaria to do? To found a congregation so that the Holy Spirit might work through the local congregation in preaching and administering the sacraments. Uh, And they're going to ordain a pastor there to do that work in that place. And so you see here the work of the church taking place. It's really that simple because, you know, when I think of the the Holy Spirit falling on them, I'm thinking of some, you know, dramatic thing where the preacher's slamming people on the heads and people are falling down and going into like a fit or an epileptic. It's really as simple as... Preaching the word of God, the Holy Spirit accompanies the word of God, the Holy Spirit creates and sustains faith where the word of God, and then it goes on to talk about a proper administration of holy baptism here, where the word of God is, where the uh, sacraments are administered rightly, there the Holy Spirit is at work and creating faith. It's really that simple, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it shows also the importance of teaching the Trinity here as well, right? They had obviously known that there was a God, and they believed that uh, God had a Son, Jesus Christ, and now they need to know about the Trinity as well, the Holy Spirit. Yes, and uh, that Trinitarian understanding is what they were lacking, and that's what the pastor taught them. Um, Wish we had more time on this text, but we'll have many more opportunities to be in the Acts of the Apostles, and Pastor Moline will be uh, teaching a Bible study, and uh, check our archives. By the time you listen to this, uh, there may be some things available on the archives as well. Uh, Vicar, would you bring things to a close? Pentecost Tuesday, the collect of the day. Let us pray. Almighty and ever-living God, you fulfilled your promise by sending the gift of the Holy Spirit to unite disciples of all nations in the cross and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. By the preaching of the gospel, spread this gift to the ends of the earth. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 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 Thanks for tuning in today to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. For Pastor Moline and Vicar Steele, I'm Pastor Poppy. God's richest blessings in Christ.